Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. My name is Scott Worthington. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Hope, and I'm honored to be with you here this morning. Tis the season of Christmas. I am a Christmas nerd. I love Christmas, everything about it. My family and I put the Santa hats on this week and decorated the house. We had the Christmas lights up like a month ago. I'm that person in the neighborhood. And um, I love Christmas. And as we start this morning, I want to ask you a question. What is the best Christmas gift that you have ever received for Christmas? Think about maybe it was last year. Maybe it was when you were a child. The best Christmas gift. We all have memories of amazing Christmas gifts what is the best Christmas gift you ever received? Maybe it was a new kitchen appliance. Maybe my wife one time got a Vitamix and she literally was crying tears of joy. She was so excited for the Vitamix. Maybe that was you. Um, maybe you got a new electronic that just rocked your world. Maybe you got gift cards to your favorite store. Maybe you got a new car. Whatever it might be, what is the greatest Christmas gift you ever received? For me, I have a couple memories of a couple good gifts. Uh, one, I was about 12 years old and I got a PlayStation. It was before they had numbers. It was just PlayStation. It was just a box that said PlayStation on it. And uh, love that. I mean, that was a huge, huge gift for me. Another year, my brother and I got dirt bikes for Christmas. That was a really, really big Christmas for us. And we rode those dirt bikes uh, for years. And that was a really, really, really great Christmas gift. But we all have amazing gifts that we remember. And right now, we are all in the season of buying Christmas gifts for our loved ones. Black Friday has come and gone. Pastor Travis shared about that. This week, uh, we had Cyber Monday. It was the biggest Cyber Monday ever in the history of the world. Americans in one business day spent $6.5 billion on gifts online, most on Amazon.com. That guy's a genius. And uh, I spent a lot of money on Amazon.com this, uh, uh, this Christmas season, getting ready for Christmas. And we are right now in the season of that. Unless you're an early bird who had all your gifts wrapped and under the tree for a month, we are all right now in the season of accumulating gifts. And I love it. I love making my list of gifts that I'm going to buy for my wife and my kids and my loved ones. And uh, I, I love seeking out the things that they asked for. I love getting creative and trying to figure out ways to, to wrap those gifts just like they do in the department stores. I always fail miserably, but they still are covered at least. And I put them under the tree. And we do this all for the experience of giving gifts. And as we head into the Christmas season where everyone, as we said, in our culture is stressing about and spending money on and talking about and making lists of gifts, we are going to take the next several weeks as a church and just look at God's word and praise God for some great gifts that we have as Jesus followers. And so today we're going to see from God's word some gifts that God gives to us. So if you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and open it up to Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, we are going to put the words on the screen as well if you didn't bring your Bible. But to give us some context to where we are in the Word today, uh, the, the book of Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul. 
And he is writing to a church in the city of Ephesus. So they are the Ephesians. And he's really encouraging these believers who they are in Christ. But right here in our passage that we're going to look at today, he's going to go back and see who we were before Jesus saved us. And who he continues to be in our lives. 2,000 years later, here we are at Hope Church this Sunday. And the Holy Spirit's words will do the same for us. It will encourage us of who we are in Christ. But we're also going to look back and look at who we were before we met Jesus. So that's the context of Ephesians 2. Paul is laying out where we've come from and where we're going. So look at these words in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. The Holy Spirit says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Skip down to verse 8. For by grace, he says again, you have been saved through faith. And not of your, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. There's our gift. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. We're going to take those last three verses that we just read, and we're going to unpack those this morning. And very simply, I want to give us two gifts that God gives us. Out of Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10, two gifts that God gives us. Here's the first one. The gift of being saved by God. We're going to spend the majority of our time here, but as Jesus followers, all over the New Testament, all over the Word, we hear of us as Jesus followers being saved. Now, At the risk of sounding elementary, we would do well to spend some time talking about what that means. When we say we are saved, well, saved from what? To answer that question, we have to kind of zoom out and look at the bigger picture, the Bible that we bring to church every Sunday. The Bible is a story of God's redemption. The whole Bible tells this beautiful story of God's redemption. Redemption is this word that means God getting back his people. See, it's no secret, but we are all born into this world sinful. All the parents of toddlers say amen, right? Uh, We are born into this world sinful. I have uh, four kids, eight and under, right? So my house is like a little sinful circus, okay? It's going on. You never have to teach kids. I've learned this, and you know this. You never have to teach kids to sin, right? You have to teach them to share. You have to teach them to say thank you. You never have to teach kids to be selfish. It just comes naturally. On our campus right now, there's no better picture of depravity happening on our campus right now than what's going on in that building over there across the courtyard. We are born into this world sinners. Here's the deal. There's a cost to sin. It hurts. It destroys. It doesn't go unpunished. And here is a a Christmas season encouragement for you. We are all guilty before God, the Bible says. So when Paul here says that we are saved, what is he referring to? He is referring to this theological reality that God sought us out and he saved us from our sin. He rescued us. See, the Bible tells a story that some of us have known for a long time and some of us have never heard. The story of God 
becoming man and dwelling among us. This is the story of Christmas. Among all the lights and the trees and the presents, the story of Christmas is God became a man and stepped into our brokenness. He lived a perfect life. He died at the hands of sinful men. He rose again on the third day, making salvation possible. Jesus said of himself in John chapter 14, verse 6, that he was the way. He alone was the way, the truth, and the life. Because of Jesus, being saved is possible. Now, we've heard that. But like I said, we would do well as we enter the Christmas season, as we enter the season of celebrating the birth of Christ. We would do well to to dwell on that for a minute. Because of Jesus, being saved is possible. So back to our question, saved from what? We are saved from the penalty of of our sin. The Bible says that we deserve the penalty. We earned it. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says for the wages of sin. What's a wage? The wage is what you earn. You go to work this week and you work hard, you earn your wage. So death, the Bible says, is our paycheck for our sin. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this is the gospel. Again, a word maybe you have heard your whole life or a word you're hearing for the very first time. You've heard the word gospel. The gospel means good news. The bad news is, is that our paycheck for our sin was death. But the good news is that Jesus gives us a free gift. It's free of eternal life. And Paul begins Ephesians chapter 2 here with this declaration of who all Jesus' followers were before God saved them. And he uses a pretty powerful word. He says, dead. Then he explains some results of that going on in this passage. He says that we were following the course of this world. We were following the prince of the power of the air, following the spirit that is now at work in disobedience. We were just dead followers of a world system, the Bible says. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out whatever our flesh and our heart wanted. And we were by nature children of wrath. Paul makes it pretty bleak here and clear. Apart from Jesus and his gift of salvation, we were helpless. But praise God, the story doesn't end there. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4, he says this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It's a gift We were dead and God saved us. And our passage that we're going to really land on today continues to unwrap this gift, if you will. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Now, when people hear that passage, a lot of people think, okay, so God gives the grace, but I supply the faith. Right, so when, when I get enough faith in my life and I muster up enough faith, enough, enough goodwill faith, I'm going to bring it to God as his gift. And he's going to say, now that you've given me your faith, I will give you this grace gift. But that's not what this passage says. This passage says that all of our salvation is grace. All of our salvation is a gift. This is not a, a time to get wrapped up in theological distinctions. This is a free gift that we have here in God's word. If I began my salvation then it would be up to me to sustain that salvation. If I had to muster up enough something to get to God, then I'd have to continue to muster up those things to stay right with God. But my salvation, the Bible says, is all God. And it's a gift that he will sustain because he started it. 
The that not of yourselves there. People get wrapped up in this when it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. In the Greek, the word that does not just refer to the grace, but it refers to the grace and the faith. They're both gifts that God graciously gives us. Let me try to illustrate that for us. Um, if I were to go out this Christmas season and I were to buy a brand new car, give you some context, I drive a 2007 Ford Focus with one missing hubcap and a lot of people say it sounds like a tractor. Um, Yes. And so if I'm going to say, I'm going to go out and buy a new car, because I need one. I'm going to go out and buy a new car. I'm going to seek out that car that I want, and I'm going to eventually, I'm going to go to a desk, and I'm going to seek out a relationship with a bank so I can pay for that car. Right? So when I get home with that new car, guess what's coming that next month? A payment because I need to sustain those car payments. I need to sustain that relationship with the bank for my, free, you know, my gift of this car. Now, if I was given a gift... If I was one of the lucky people that we see all Christmas season at the Lexus commercial with the bow on the front yard, that's a different story, right? If I were to get up on Christmas morning and my wife were to point outside and I'd go to the window and it's snowing in Las Vegas, I don't know, and it's snowing and I see the Lexus with the red bow, that's a gift. I'm not going inside worrying about how I'm going to pay for that gift. It was freely given to us. And that's a small picture of our salvation. We don't, we don't seek this thing out and then have to figure out a way to sustain this relationship. God started it. It's all grace. It's all a gift for children of God this morning. Grace through faith. God saved us. Paul goes on to say, now this is not a result of works so that no one may boast. See, a gift is not earned. A gift is freely given. We do not earn this gift. He gives it to us. So he makes sure we know that by saying, this is not a result of what you did so that nobody may boast. And many people believe there are plenty of ways to get to God. Some people think if I'm just a good person, right, if I just work hard for my family, if I provide, if I stay away from all the, the bad sins that our culture says are really, really bad sins, if I stay away from those, and, and I'm going to mess up a little bit, but I'm going to stay away from the big ones, and I'm going to provide for my family, I'm going to give to charity every once in a while, and I'm going to be a good person, and one day I'm sure I'll get through the pearly gates. Other people take a religious route. They say, man, if, if I just get baptized, maybe a couple times, make sure it sticks, right, I'm just going to get baptized a couple different times, I'm going to attend church or mass as much as I can because I had a bad week, so I'm going to come and try to get clean on Sunday. I'm going to take the Lord's Supper. I'm going to slip a few extra crackers in there to make sure it's all good with God. I'm going to give money. I'm going to pray certain prayers. Some people think if I just play the religious game, one day I'll be right with God. And everything I just said, these are good things. Working hard, providing for your family, giving to charity, going, coming to church, being baptized in obedience to Jesus, taking the Lord's Supper, these are all really, really good things. But here's what I love about Ephesians chapter 2. Paul here is saying that if my good things made me right with God, my flesh would take the credit. If my good things, here we go, I'm going to walk up to heaven thinking I'm kind of the man. I've done a great job. All my good things, if those got me to God and made me right with the creator, sovereign God of the universe, my flesh would take the credit. So Paul says, listen, I want to remind you, the Holy Spirit through Paul, you were dead and God gave you a gift and he saved you. There's nothing you could have brought to the table that would have saved you. It's his grace alone through faith alone. Only God gets me to God. 
So he gives us grace and he gives us faith and he saves us. Jesus died on the cross and rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave so that salvation was possible. And now me, walking dead in my trespasses and sins, God saves me by grace through faith. And it's all a gift. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the secret of a happy Christian life is to realize that it is all grace and to rejoice in that fact. This word grace is a word that means undeserved favor, unmerited favor. I don't deserve it. Our team, we wrote a song here where we just say, hallelujah, the highest praise. My life sings grace upon grace upon grace. As I was preparing this week, I was just thinking about how true that is for my life. I don't deserve any of this, but I, I got such an amazing salvation that God saved me. I got an amazing wife and kids and family and church family. And I'm looking at God and I'm going, I don't deserve this. And we could share testimonies all morning about, man, I don't deserve what God's given me, but he's given me a gift and he saved me. See, if we're honest, a lot of times in our flesh, we take this gift for granted. I know I do. That's why for me at least, I need a, a gospel reminder. God saved me when I was 17 years old and here I am at 31 and I daily need a gospel reminder who I was before Jesus and how he rescued me and saves me and continues to sustain me even today. Pastor Travis shared a story last weekend I thought was powerful. He talked about a guy who went and visited Yellowstone National Park and saw the, the geyser Old Faithful. And there were some employees there and there were some people that were there for the first time as tourists. And he said this, when the geyser went off, the tourists oohed and awed, took pictures, and some even applauded. But when I looked at the employees, not a single one looked up to see the eruption. Old Faithful had grown entirely too familiar. It had lost its power to impress. If I'm honest today, sometimes that's me. I don't wake up every single morning and go, God, you're so good for giving me the gift of grace through faith and saving me. Sometimes I feel like God's lost his ability to impress me. And really, this is our nature if you think about it. We are people that move on. We move on very quickly. From whatever we think is the best thing, we move on. To illustrate that, I'll, I'll ask you if you can remember what you got for Christmas in 2015. Maybe you can. Maybe it was a big deal. Maybe for you it was like the dirt bike year where you got that thing. But for me, I'm looking back and going, two years ago, I, I don't remember what, but I don't remember what I got. But I remember in that moment, I probably thought it was the best thing ever. But guess what? My human heart moves on very, very quickly. Give you some encouragement as you buy gifts for your loved ones today. Everything you get for Christmas this year will most likely end up at a charity store or a garage sale. <laughs> Think about it. The kitchen appliance that right now is the best thing on the market eventually will get old. And eventually you'll want to trade it in for a new one. Same thing with your car. Same thing with the gift cards that you're going to get to buy a bunch of clothes that you're eventually going to wear out. And you're going to say, these clothes are out of style and I don't want them anymore. I'm going to give them to some friends or I'm going to give them to Goodwill or I'm going to put them in a garage sale. Everything in our lives, we are constantly upgrading to different things. And for me, nothing is, has been more true than, uh, than my iPhone. I was thinking this week, and I've had five iPhones. Don't judge me. You have two. <laughs> I got the iPhone 4. In 2010, and I remember opening that, my, my wife threw a birthday party for me and all my friends. I remember opening that thinking that was the best thing ever. A gentleman at the last service came up to me and showed me his iPhone 4, and it literally looks like it's from a different era in time, right? But I remember at that moment, it was the best thing ever. What happened? They came out with the 4S, and I passed on that one. 
But when they came out with the five, with that camera and that new look and all that stuff, guess what I did? I went, man, my iPhone 4 is looking pretty bleak. I'm going to go ahead and with the iPhone 5. And I've done it with the 5 and the 6 and the 7. And now I have the 8. I'm not cool enough for the 10 quite yet, but I have the 8. And that's the air we breathe. Think about it. Everything in our lives we like to upgrade. We upgrade our wardrobe. We upgrade our electronics. We upgrade everything. It's the air we breathe. We think about it all the time. This is great for now, but eventually this is going to get old, and I'm going to want to move on. But here's the reality for us as Jesus followers. We must stay grounded and true to this fact. We never upgrade from the gospel. We never Get the gospel, and then I need to move on to bigger and better spiritual things because the, up, the, the, the gospel has gotten a little old for me. It's gotten a little outdated. What's next, Lord? The gospel is what's next. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ, the Bible just told us this morning, raised us from death to life. It gave us the life that we have in Christ today. You never, ever, ever get over that. It's the same gospel that saved you. It's the same gospel that sustains you today. You're here this morning in a relationship with Jesus because of the gospel. We need to pause for just a minute and really ask ourselves, do we believe that? I had to ask myself this week, even this morning, as I got to get prepared to preach this, do I really believe what the word says about me? That apart from Christ, I was dead. Apart from Christ, I am dead. I am doomed. But Jesus enters the story saves me, gives me the gift of salvation. And give us a biblical reality this morning. Here it is, that we won't see the glory of being saved by God until we see how desperate we are for God. We won't see how amazing this gift is until we realize how desperate we are apart from it. And see, in a lot of us, we've gotten so used to a relationship with Jesus that we don't really realize how desperate we are. Notice that didn't say how desperate we were when we were dark and in sin and out without Jesus. No, it's how desperate we are. That's why the gospel is not a one and done idea. The good news of God's grace sees us through our past mistakes, but it also sustains us through our future failures. The God of heaven is currently at work in your life, saving you and renewing you and bringing you to look like Jesus. You see, the problem is for me and maybe for you that a lot of times I don't see my need like that. I don't see how desperate I am apart from Jesus. I thought about it this week. If only there was a way to show me outside of my body how desperate I am for Jesus, right? If only I had like a little Iron Man thing on my chest that had a little gauge that showed me how much I need Jesus, That'd be a little weird, but just follow me for just a second. What if we all had these gauges as Jesus followers? So I would look down, I'd be like, oh man, I am kind of low. I need to go to all four services this weekend. Or I need to get in my word. Or I need to turn on 90.5 real loud in my car this morning. I need to get some Jesus because I'm running a little low. As funny as that would be, I don't think that would work either. And let me try to explain. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands in this next illustration. But how many of you have ever, don't, don't raise your hand have ever run out of gas in your car, right? No show of hands, because I know there's lots of you, because I have a lot of friends. Maybe all my friends just don't know how to read a gas gauge, but I, I have a lot of friends who have run out of gas in their car. Now, I gotta be honest, I'm, this baffles me a little bit. Praise God, I've never run out of gas. I almost did yesterday. I thought that was gonna be God humbling me, like right before I preached this, I was gonna run out of gas. But none of us drove Model T's here this morning, the first car, right? We all have like, 
newer cars. Not maybe, maybe, I mean, of this century probably. And in that car is a gas gauge with a big F and a big E. And a little needle that shows you where you are in life, okay? Some of you was driving the minivan yesterday and a little light popped on. So not only is there a gauge that tells me you need gas, but then there's a little light that reminds me, hey, Scott, in case you didn't see the gauge, you need gas. Now, some of you are practically driving spaceships, and you don't only have the gauge and the light, but you got a little thing that tells you the exact mileage before you run out of gas. You guys ever been in the car with somebody, and it's at zero, and you're like, hey, man, ah, we got it. I'm going... Says zero. Candace and I, my wife, we've been married nine years. We dated for a few years before that. And so we were like maybe 18, 19 when this happened. But we were dating and she left my house. And um, I don't know, five minutes later, she couldn't have been very far. She calls me. She said, I need you to come get me. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's been an accident. Her transmission fell out of her car. Uh, she blew out a tire. And I said, oh my gosh, what's wrong? I'll come get you right now. She goes, I ran out of gas. And I'm going, What? Like, you ran out. She goes, I'm on the side of the road. I ran out of gas. Now, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but here's what I know about that. Even though it's never happened to me, I went and rescued my wife from that situation. The only thing that is going to get you going in that moment is gasoline, right? It doesn't matter if you have all the money in the world. Unless your wallet has gasoline in it, the only thing that is going to get you on your way is gasoline, she was in need that day. And if you've ever been on the side of the road, you're in need. Here's what I want us to see. Some of us have had the gas light on in our spiritual life forever. We've been stranded on the side of our spiritual life for far too long, and you've tried to fill your tank with everything under the sun to try to get you going. Some of you, some others of you have been cruising along by your own accomplishments and your religiosity and your stuff in your life, and you've been cruising along, and here's the reality. I'm praying that we run out of gas as God's people and realize that the only thing that will fill our tank as human beings is Jesus. The only thing that will fully satisfy me is Christ. We won't see how amazing this gift is if we don't realize how desperate we are for Jesus. Not desperate we were when we got saved. We were desperate then, but we're desperate right now just as much. And the only thing that allows us to, to live out this life, this fulfilling life that he's called us to, is Christ. Today I'm praying that we would all realize for the first time or maybe for the thousandth time that we desperately need Jesus. We couldn't save ourselves. It's only by his grace. We can't muster up enough faith. It's only Jesus who has the power to save, and he has offered that gift freely today. So that's the first gift, being saved by God. Here's the second gift we're going to look at from God, the gift of being used by God. Today, right now, it's, it's on the table. God has given you a gift of being saved by God, and God has given you a gift of being used by God. Paul continues in verse 10 of Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Out of this verse, I want to give us two encouraging truths as we finish up this morning. The first one is this. You were created by God on purpose. It says there, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. This, this word workmanship, other translations say masterpiece. This is a Greek word, poema. It's where we get our English word, poem. 
You and I were created by God on purpose. The Bible says that we are his masterpiece. And here's why that's important. Some of you guys don't believe that. Some of you guys have come in this building today and your family or your culture or your coworkers have beat you up so much this week that you feel worthless and you feel like a mistake and you feel like nobody cares about you. Well, the God of heaven today would hopefully peer into your soul and say, you were created by me on purpose. Works of art don't happen by accident. There's not a better passage that I've found in God's word that more beautifully illustrate this than Psalm 139. Psalm 139 verses 13 and 14 say, for you, this is us talking to God, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. That word formed in Psalm 139 is the picture of a potter molding a piece of clay into a work of art and beautiful pottery. You are not an accident. There's no bad pieces of art. The Bible would tell us today that you were created by God on purpose. No matter what the people in your life may be saying to you, he has a plan for your life. I love this. This hopefully will give you fresh air in your sails this morning if you're feeling defeated today. That you are not God's mistake, the Bible says. You are God's masterpiece. You are not God's mistake. And some of us need to stop and hear that. Because everybody in your life has been telling you otherwise. But God, the sovereign boss of heaven today, would say into your life, you are my masterpiece. You were created by God on purpose. Here's the second thing out of this Ephesians 2.10 passage. Not only were you created by God on purpose, you were created by God for a purpose. He said, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice the parallel of what Paul is saying here. We are not saved by our good works, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's grace through faith. But after God saves us, we are saved for good works. It's the acting agent. It's not me. It's God in and through my life. He saves me, and then he's going to use me as, as a bright light in the darkness of this world. We are not saved by our good works. We are saved for good works. John Calvin said, it is faith alone that justifies But faith that justifies can never be alone. It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. James, the brother of Jesus, really unpacks this for us in his New Testament book, the book of James. In James chapter 2, verses 17, it says this. So faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. That's the same idea that Paul is communicating here in Ephesians 2. We must always hold verse 10 alongside verses 8 and 9. The Bible paints this holistic picture of the believer as one who is life, the life is continually being lived out by grace. I was saved by grace through faith, and now my life is lived out by grace through faith, and I'm going to be an agent of change in the world, not because I'm awesome, but because Christ in me is. You say, that, that sounds great. How do we do that? How do we walk in these works that Ephesians 2.10 says that God prepared beforehand? It's a word that we use here at Hope a lot right out of the New Testament that's a strong word, and it's the word abide. Abide in Christ. This is the song we sing here at Hope. The only way you and I walk in the good works that Jesus has laid out for us is by walking with Jesus, by spending time with Jesus, by, by sharpening ourselves with the people around us who love and walk with Jesus. Notice it doesn't say to manufacture good works 
We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to go out and figure out how to do good works. To figure out how to create good works. No, it says just walk in the good works that God has already prepared beforehand. Before you were even born, God was at work in your life to come to allow you to walk in what he has for your life. Remember, who we were apart from Christ is dead. John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus really unpacks this. He says this, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Physical fruit. Think about an apple tree. Physical fruit is the life of the vine being pressed out through the branches. That's a little intellectual. Let me bring it down for you, right? Only way an apple grows on the branch of an apple tree is if the root system and the life of that tree push out that apple from the branch. If you cut an apple tree branch off and throw it on the ground, you can water it, you can put it in a greenhouse, you can do all the science experiments your heart desires, nothing of life is going to come from that branch. But when you connect that branch to a life-giving tree, fruit appears, fruit comes out. For us, spiritually, we were cut off from the tree. But God in his grace through faith attaches us to himself and now his life in us produces fruit. A salvation that has saved us will be evident to the people around us. That's what Paul was saying here. We have to hold eight, nine, and 10 together. We are not saved by our good works. We are saved for good works. We will see our gift of being used by God as we abide in him and as he pushes fruit out of our lives, we'll see it. It's evident. The people in our lives will see it. It will be clear. God has given us this incredible gift of salvation by grace through faith. He's given us the gift of being used by him. He created us on purpose for a purpose. And these are some of the good gifts that God gives us out of Ephesians chapter 2. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, you are so good to us. Our lives sing grace upon grace upon grace today. And I'm grateful for the many testimonies of the people I know in this room who you have done amazing things in their lives. God, thank you for what you do. You are at work right now in our church. You are at work right now in the hearts of these people. God, we prayed before we started today that you would move and work and have your way. And God, even right now, as we move to a time of response, I pray you would do that for every heart in this room, that you would move and you would work and you would have your way. Just as we respond to God's word today, I want to give us an opportunity just to spend time with God, just there by yourself, talking to the Father, just kind of walk through some, some different areas of our lives. And the first is to ask yourself the question, have I received God's gift of salvation? It's available today. The work has already been done. There is no work you have to do to get right. Jesus has sought you out. Turn around and say yes. He'll give you this gift of salvation. It's available. Maybe you need to become a believer in Jesus today. Maybe you need to become a Jesus follower today. Do you see yourself, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, as someone who God created, loved, and values? 
Do you see yourself, as the Bible said, that we are a masterpiece? There's no bad pieces of art. There's no mistakes. There's no mess-ups. God doesn't do that. You were created, loved, and valued by the God of the universe. Maybe you just need to cry out to him right now in these moments. Just say, God, I'm having a hard time believing that. I pray you'd help me believe that because it's true. Are you walking in these good works that Jesus has laid out in your life? Is the salvation that you and I claim, is it producing fruit? Again, it's not us mustering up fruit. It's us holding on to Jesus and he is pushing fruit from our lives. It's evident because of what he's done and what he is doing. We need to always be listening to, Holy, to the Holy Spirit about some next steps that maybe God has in our lives. But there's some things he's laid out in his word as we look at what these good works are that he's laid out beforehand. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest thing of all the commandments in the Old Testament, Jesus? And he said, to love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the other one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we'll start there. As we abide in Christ, how does that look in your life? How is your loving the Lord your God and holding on to him? And how are you loving your neighbor? These are things that God will do as he has prepared before him, the Bible says, through our lives. As a culture, we are in the season of giving. And at Hope, we have a, a value. We just say we live life ready to make a difference in the lives of others. That's just how we live, not just in December, but as Jesus followers. So those are some of the good works that God lays out for us in Scripture. How are we spending our time? How are we spending the gifts that God's given us? How are we investing our resources? How are we doing life with people around us that God's given us? These are all ways that Scripture would lay out for us that as we abide in Christ, we would walk in the good works in which he's laid out for us. I'm really excited. Next week, Pastor Vance is going to be unpacking this idea of, of are we serving the body of Christ? That's a, that's a good work that God has laid out beforehand. We are to serve and plug in and get involved in the life of the body. So I don't know what God's doing in our hearts. Maybe the pastors are up here. I'm going to be down here in just a minute. Maybe you need to come up and receive Jesus today. Maybe you want to talk to somebody about that. We would love to have a conversation. Listen, God is bigger than the questions you have. Don't not come up because you have too many big questions. Maybe there's got things going on in your, life, in your lives. Maybe, maybe you heard from the doctor this week and it's not good. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe your kids have, have gone wayward. Whatever it may be, we are here to pray with our body. Maybe you're struggling as a Christian. You're struggling to hold on to Jesus and abide. Come and be prayed for. That's what this time is for, for us to worship God and to pray and ask God to move and work as we leave this place today. So, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We've asked you to move. We've asked you to work. And we trust that you have and you are. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. We trust you now as we stand and sing in Jesus' name.